the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father said to him, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and samples on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Sin repentance, forgiveness. For some of us, these words are loaded. They bring up experiences of being called hateful names by religious leaders, of being excluded of shame and guilt. And so, before we even get into this proclamation, I want to be clear, and I want to speak with all the ministerial authority I possess, and I don't do that much, so listen. <laughs> you are not an abomination. You are not bad. Whatever you have heard from whatever pulpit about sinners in the hands of an angry God, listen to me now. God loves you exactly as you are, with an everlasting love, and nothing, nothing, Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you are worthy of love and belonging and community and acceptance. You're made in God's image and by God. It seems to me that the kind of exclusion, rejection, and abuse that many of us experienced from religious leaders is exactly what Jesus is addressing with these stories. Listen again to the setup. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the religious leaders were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So it's as though the religious leaders are saying, Reject those people, Jesus. Send them away. They're not worthy of your time. They shouldn't be treated as equals. They're certainly not people you should sit down with and share a meal, these sinners and ex-collectors. They're not religious enough. They're not pious enough. They're not like us enough. 
and so you should send him away. And Jesus, who never just addresses a situation, have you noticed this? He never just says, cut it off, fellas. Cut it out. Quit it. No, 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 he doesn't. He tells a story almost every time. Or asks a question back. They ask him a question, he asks them a question. They're rabbinical. It's a good way to do it. So Jesus tells not one story but three. You heard Chris read them beautifully. Jesus tells stories in response to the religious leaders uttering and demoralizing stories of radical inclusion, radical welcome, and community. Consider each story's ending. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then the father said to him, Son, you are with me always, and what is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he's been found. Repentance in these stories, it seems to me, cannot, as we probably imagine it, it cannot mean to beg for forgiveness. Sheep cannot ask for forgiveness. It's not part of their ovine nature. <laughs> And if a sheep cannot repent by begging for forgiveness, then coins are completely incapable of that. And does either son truly repent if repent means to ask for forgiveness? The son who left and returns has an epiphany. Luke puts it this way. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and more to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. He came to himself. He woke up, and he plans to say that he's sinned, but he doesn't even plan to ask for forgiveness, and he doesn't get out the words that he sinned before his father embraces him and throws the big party. And then that older son, when we leave the story, he's still standing outside the party, refusing to come in. So the point of the story about the sheep and the coin is that the lost coin is reunited, and the lost sheep is found and returned to the flock, and the lost son which lost son? The one that went away and came back is returned. But at the end of the story, there's the tension. Will the older brother come into the party? Will they at last all be reunited? It's the reunion that's the focus of these stories. And so the work of repentance must be communal. It's about healing and wholeness, about restoring and remembering a community that's been separated or fractured or disjointed. Repentance in these stories seems to me 
to be about creating a beloved community where justice and love are our motivations, where all are welcomed and included, all are cared for. In community, repentance becomes a way of life, a way of hope. And so we must wake up, we must come to ourselves and come to realize the injustice and the oppression and our part in it. Yes, we must repent and change. These are not done in isolation. In community, repentance is a way of reunion, of communion, of connection, sharing. In community, we can repent our willingness to be carried along with the crime. We can repent all the times that we place power, control, stability, and wealth as more important than people, more important than justice. All the times we've moved away from the pain and said, it's not my fault. to bring change, they must work together. The prophets tell us this again and again. They remind us that God wants us to care for the poor and the widows, the orphans, and strangers. It's about community, connection, sharing. The churches that raised me were mostly worried about private repentance. They were worried about personal sin, and that personal sin was almost always about sex or cussing, music. Personal sin and personal piety were the focus. But it seems to me that repentance cannot simply be about my personal failings. I'm part of a system. I'm part of a culture. I'm part of the evils of white supremacy and misogyny and heteronormativity. I'm part of these systems. And these systems will continue to abuse, hate, and slaughter unless I'm willing to see my part. Unless I'm willing to ask, how can I help? And then do it. The work that must be done in our world, my friends, it cannot be done in a moment. And it certainly cannot be done alone. We must repent for the violence against people of color and women and LGBTQAI plus people. The violence against people fleeing to our country for safety and opportunity. Violence against the poor and the earth and ourselves. Together, as a community, we can bring each system of abuse to the altar and we can repent, and then we can do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day, joining ourselves with each other for the work of reconciliation and change. This, this is the way we will reconnect and be reunited. This is the way, at last, we will be able to cry, rejoice with me. The ones that were lost, the ones that were excluded and abused and rejected, they've been found and returned and welcomed. 
I want to dedicate my life to this work. I would gladly walk an aisle and show my commitment for the work of justice, show myself as a sinner in need of confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. Sometimes I miss the invitations of my youth. You see, in the churches that raised me, the invitation was at the very end of the service. Yes, there was a postlude after it, but the postlude in the churches that raised me signaled everyone that now was the time to talk, to move about the cabin, to greet, and not to listen to the organizers. So, I'm not really counting that as part of it. The invitation is at the very end, and during the invitation, we were meant to walk the aisle, come and speak to the minister, and then to tell the minister we had lots of options. You might be telling the minister that you had decided you wanted to follow Jesus. You might be telling the minister you wanted to join the church. You might be rededicating your life, following Jesus. You might just be asking for prayer. So during the invitation, we sang a hymn for however many verses, including the need to hum or repeat verses. You know, some of you know what I'm talking so however many verses, and the number of verses was determined by my preacher father. He would stand in the front of the church on level ground, having come down the stairs, various numbers of stairs, depending on which church, but he would always come down and stand level with the pews. He would stand in front of the communion table with the words, do this in remembrance of me, always carved across the He would stand with his hands crossed in front of him, holding his Bible. And we would sing, and we would wait. Some people would walk the aisle, and we would sing some more. And eventually, my father would turn and signal the minister of music that it was time to stop. There was something powerful in the visible, communal aspects of that kind of invitation of walking an aisle come to realize as I thought about this this week that in many ways our call to confession, unison confession, silence and words of assurance provide us all each week this same possibility. Only it's in community. It's not one of us walking the aisle. We all could. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord standing in the need of prayer, and it's you, and you, and you, and all of us. But we don't do it alone here at Covenant Church. We say that unison confession together. And together, we're given the opportunity to be reunited with ourselves and each other, given the opportunity to commit once again to the work justice and love and hospitality. We don't do it alone. We need a community. I'm grateful for this community. I'm grateful for the work that we do together. We join our voices and our efforts. We are reunited with ourselves and each other and the world. We do the work of reconciliation. 
Each Sunday, we rejoice as we are brought together once again, the sheep and the coins and the sons and the daughters and all God's children brought together again, reunited for the sacred tasks of love and justice. Thanks be to God.